Welcome to Short-Term Rental Investing 101. Thanks for joining. I'm Amir Dukic, founder and CEO of Rabu and the host of this podcast. Today, we're tackling the Airbnb bust question head on. What is the data actually telling us about the supply and demand of this growing asset class? Spoiler alert, the asset class is not going anywhere and it's still early. Enjoy. Everyone, thanks for joining. Really excited uh, for for this time. I guess it's afternoon for us. We're here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, excited for this time, and you know we have people from all over the country joining. So thanks for joining this afternoon, this this morning, maybe even over your lunch, uh, to just kind of get a state of, of the union on the sh- on short term rental. So just real quick on myself, I am Emir Dukic. I am the CEO of Rabu. We are based in Charlotte, North Carolina, as I mentioned, and we help real estate investors find, buy, and operate short term rentals nationwide. Uh, we do that through a data tool at data.rabu.com, where you can underwrite any short-term rental, find its revenue uh, projections, find the closest comps to it through market data uh, that we have to allow you to understand how each market is performing, what the amenities are uh, that perform best in those markets. And then we have a marketplace as well, where you can uh, find uh, actual properties that are on market uh, and purchase them to turn them into short-term rentals. Um, we also partner with other you know, lenders and, and brokers to help you actually buy the asset. And if you need property management help, we have a management arm that can operate those properties for you. We currently have uh, almost 400 properties all across the country. So uh, we're kind of have a touch point across the whole uh, life cycle of a short-term rental. So excited to speak with you today. Um, as I mentioned, the presentation today will be to cover kind of the state of the union of short-term rentals. Uh, so here is the agenda. We'll we'll start off by covering the uh, kind of the, the state of the union. Again, we'll date things back to 2019 quite a bit in this presentation. And the reason we bring it back to 2019 because 2019 was really the last normal year that short-term rentals have experienced. We all know what happened in 2020, uh, and as a result, of what happened in 2020 with the pandemic and a lot of the travel behavior that changed during that time period. Uh, 2020, 2021, and to a certain extent, 2022 have been interesting years um, and really not normal years because there's been some, you know, drop off in demand and supply that then rebounded, almost overcorrected to a certain extent that I think is worth touching on to help people understand why we are where we are um, in the kind of current state of the short-term rental market. Uh, Then we'll talk about some general market trends around regulations and some opportunities that we're seeing. Uh, We'll jump into amenity insights. And what we mean by that is uh, what are some amenities that you can add uh, to your properties that will actually help those perform better than the market, especially as we start seeing more and more supply come up on Airbnb? What can you do to make your property stand out? Uh, we'll then uh, talk about the state of the economy and if it's not a time to invest into short-term rentals. And then I'll cover a few of my uh, favorite markets. And it's interesting. I've definitely seen going through this list uh, of uh attendees mentioning where they are located and where they have properties. There's definitely a lot of markets that are in my favorite markets list uh, already represented. So that's great to see. We highly encourage everyone uh, to ask questions throughout this presentation. Uh, I will try to make time throughout the presentation to stop and answer any questions that you guys have. We'd love to clarify anything where where I may not have been detailed enough. Uh, if not, we can also save questions for the end, but I would love to make this as interactive as possible. So please send questions our way. Uh, as we go through this presentation. Hope this makes sense uh, and we'll get started. So um, to kick things off, we'll talk about, again, this the short-term rental snapshot where we are now. And I'll actually start uh, with a quick executive summary on the current state of the market. Uh, and then I'll provide some, some details, some data that kind of uh, supports these key takeaways. So as you guys know, uh, the pandemic in 2020 
really caused a tremendous drop in supply in short-term rentals because everybody was stuck at home, uh, wasn't traveling. We were all on lockdown. That started changing in late 2020 uh, and into 2021. Uh, demand for short-term rentals grew tremendously because now people were allowed to travel again. Um, and, you know, they were utilizing short-term rentals because they at least initially provided kind of that socially distanced way of travel. So the, uh, the demand for short-term rentals grew tremendously starting in 2020 and then uh, beyond uh, into 2021, 2022, and is continuing to grow in 2023 as well. So demand is not slowing down. We'll, we'll uh, show some of the uh, kind of data that supports that. Um, on the other end, though, supply is actually now for the first time in a while starting to outpace demand. So when COVID hit, supply dropped off tremendously, stayed kind of stagnant. We have some numbers that will show you this. Uh, but over the last really 12 to 18 months and going to 2023, supply is outpacing demand. So now that supply is outpacing demand, more properties are coming live and you know people are looking for additional properties that by nature is causing some 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 uh re revenue to drop for hosts um the one thing however that we can say uh from data and everything that we've seen is that great properties properties in the right locations that have the right amenities that are serving the right guests and that are operated properly are performing really well and they're continue they're going to continue to thrive even in kind of um, a, a time when supply uh, is higher than it's been really ever. Um, and the way we're kind of looking at the space right now, and you know, um, from our vantage point, what's really happening is that short-term rentals are in the process of being professionalized. Uh, you know, no longer is it going to be the case where you can just take, you know, uh, some photos with your iPhone uh, on a random property that you have and put in an Airbnb and expect it to generate a lot of revenue. It's really going to come down to actually operating it the right way, setting it up the right way, uh, providing them get the right guest experience and really buying the best asset. So um, I'll cover all those data points here uh, as we go through this presentation, but I really want to kind of set the tone of uh, kind of what we're seeing in the marketplace. Hope that makes sense. And yes, I saw, we saw a couple of questions come in. Uh, this, this webinar is being recorded and we will share it afterwards, right? Nicole, to those who attended, we'll, we'll, we'll share a copy of this. Correct. Yeah, it'll go out uh, shortly after we conclude. Awesome. So let's start getting into our first data points. Uh, the first data points we're going to use to kind of show you guys um, some of these takeaways that, that I just talked about are Airbnb's Q4 earnings. So Airbnb being a public company um, just had their quarter four 2022 earnings call a few weeks back where they where they talked about how their how the company performed over the last you know quarter and compared to the prior years, um, and what they reported on was really from more of a global perspective, so not just the United States but globally. And globally, their data was telling them two things: travelers are still looking for stays, and owners are still looking to host. So supply is growing and demand is growing. In fact, in Q4, their revenue grew 24% year over year compared to Q4 of 2021, uh, and helped Airbnb have its first profitable year ever. The number of nights booked also grew over 20% year over year to 88 million nights booked in Q4 uh, of this year. So again, more people, uh, more nights were booked this year than there were last year uh, in 2022 than in 2021. The one thing that's interesting and that starts kind of showing some of this trend, the average daily rate though uh, dropped 1% between Q4 of 2022 and 2021. So 
you know, more properties were booked, Airbnb made more revenue, uh, more not, people had more stays, but the uh, the nightly rate actually dropped a little bit. And this is the kind of the first sign that, that we mentioned of the supply kind of putting some downward pressure on the nightly rate to be earned. Um, and then finally, speaking of supply, globally, um, Airbnb ended 2022 with 6.6 .6 million active listings. That's a 16% year-over-year growth. So they saw 900,000 new listings go live last year, um, which, again, is quite a bit of a demand growth and is uh, definitely impacting things across the board globally. Uh, locally on, in the United States, we were actually going to uh, show you some data from our friends over at AirDNA. We were part of a conference with them a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, and they had this chart that they were nice enough to let us borrow and use for the presentation. <laughs> so basically, I think this chart does a really good job of telling the story of what happened with short-term rentals um, and the, the supply and demand since, since before the pandemic. Um, so to kind of walk you guys through that, you'll see in 2019, um, there were right at 1.2 million short-term rental listings. You know, that was growing 16% year-over-year number of uh, nights available. Demand was growing 20%. was growing pretty stable with occupancy in the 50%, 53% daily rates in 210 and really a revenue per available night being in the 112 range. So revenue per available night was growing 4% year-over-year from 2018 to 2019. Really, that was kind of the standard. And what you'll see here is the pandemic happened and the number of listings dropped off significantly. You'll see it went from 1.2 million to a little bit over 1 million listings. So had a nights available uh, drop by almost 16%. Demand dropped because people were tra weren't traveling. Occupancy didn't change much, dropped a little bit. Um, average daily rate uh, was, was actually higher, was 10% higher. And RevPAM was actually 8% higher in 2020 um, because you know, the, the decrease in supply really um, helped that. Going to 2021, supply actually stayed relatively flat, um, but demand jumped tremendously. So you'll see demand jumped 20% over a year as a result of the, uh, you know, the jump in, in, in demand and the low supply. You saw that the actual uh, occupancy jumped to 60%, nightly rates jumped by 12% to 260, and overall revenue per available night jumped by 28%. As that rolled into 2022, you saw supply actually jump by 25%. Uh, demands was still growing, was still up 20%, but you st you're starting to see here that the uh, supply was outpacing the demand, which then resulted in occupancy dropping. Uh, but Data rates were still higher than in prior years, and revenue ended up being about 2% higher in 2022 uh, over 2021. Uh, what's being forecast into 2023 uh, is, is a little bit of the same. You'll see uh, the number of supply, the supply is going to go up, the projecting 9% supply hike uh, in 2023. Uh, demand is going to go up by about 5.5%, so still continuing to grow, but that's going to cause downward pressure on occupancy. Uh, while the average daily rates are going to go up, a lot of that has to do with inflation. Overall, the revenue in 2023 is projected to go down some per available night uh, across the short-term rental industry. Uh, and the biggest reason, again, for that is the influx of supply. Um, it's just outpaced the demand that was created and the performances that were created in really what you'd call you know, 2020, 2021, and 2022 really 
irregular years in the sense that you know one was uh, one was deeply impacted from a supply perspective and a demand perspective by by COVID, and then the kind of um, recovery uh, almost overreaction from a recovery perspective, people traveling and seeing a, a significant influx in in demand um, that is now starting to stabilize across the board. Um, any questions? And I'm not sure if any questions have come in. I hope that makes sense for everyone. It's really the supply demand uh, for the market is, is evolving. All right. Um, I don't see a lot of questions coming, but hopefully it's helpful. Um, um, with regards, and I wanted to use another data data point from AirDNA because again, this is great data and something that we've been able to confirm with our own data. You'll see here how in 2022 the uh, supply and demand side has evolved. Uh, so across every market, so you'll see mid-sized cities, rural cities, large cities, vacation destinations. You'll see in all markets the supplies actually exceeding the demand. So the influx of supply. Uh, across the board is exceeding demand for short-term rentals, uh, meaning that, again, just by the basis of having additional supply, the demand uh, and the prices are going to get compressed uh, because people have more options to choose from and, as a result, are going to try to get the best deal uh, possible. Now, that all might sound negative to, to a lot of people. Uh, we don't think it is. Uh, we think it's just the normal uh, process of a asset class being professionalized. Um, and we still believe there's plenty of opportunity for investors to generate returns on their assets. So I'll give you guys an example of that here. So this is um, a uh, example in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we have, uh, as I mentioned, we operate properties nationwide, but most of them are in Charlotte. We have a little bit over 100 properties in Charlotte that we operate. So I want to use this as a kind of case study for the opportunity at hand. So. Uh, this is based on data on our site, data.rubly.com. You'll see there's about 1,700 uh, properties in Charlotte uh, that are short-term rentals. On average, they make about $24,000 a year uh, in revenue. The top performers, the top percentile of the properties in Charlotte actually perform 40% better uh, and make $35,000 a year. You know, They actually charge almost the same nightly rate, but have a significantly higher occupancy. And these are properties that have, you know, Better reviews, uh, continue strong occupancy, and a good, good, a good number of reviews, and they're all for entire homes only. So we're seeing that good properties are always going to outperform the market. Um, we also have properties that are in line with these that we're showing here that uh, really jump out too. There's an asset in Charlotte that is an amazing location, close to downtown, close to the stadium, uh, close to really anything that anybody would want to experience if they're visiting Charlotte. That property is on pace. It always earned over $80,000 a year because of its location, because of its amenities that it provides, uh, and because of the way it's operated. So it's really kind of a, um, the supply shouldn't scare people off. Yes, it's going to provide some compression, but if you operate your properties appropriately, there's still significant return, uh, returns to be made uh, in, in the short-term rental space. So you just can't put any property up. And that's really kind of what our summary is. Uh, our takeaway from the current state of the union is really supply quality is going to have to increase. Um, and not every property is going to be a good fit. You know, you can, again, can no longer just list a property on Airbnb and hope that it's going to generate your revenue. That's been done too many times. Uh, and not only the good ones are going to thrive uh, and really thrive. 
hosts are going to have to start operating more professionally or outsource to professionals. Again, what we mean by that is you're going to have to start taking advantage of all the uh, pricing strategies that are available to you. You're going to have to start listing on multiple travel agencies, OTAs, an Airbnb, Verbo, HomeAway, whatever else the case may be. You're going to have to start uh, making sure that you know you're, you're getting consistent five star reviews, things of that nature. Uh, really operating this as a professional entity are going to matter going forward. Uh, and then, you know, as the market stabilizes, we do expect returns to drop, uh, especially with you know the current interest rates that we're seeing in the market. But um, you know, short-term rentals are going to, especially the good properties, are going to stay uh, really lucrative, especially compared to long-term rentals. So. Um, again, compression, return compression is likely. Uh, there's a lot of factors at play. Supply is one of them. Uh, interest rates are another, but it's still a very lucrative uh, strategy for your real estate uh, with the right asset and with the right operations. Nicole, any questions that, that are popping in that we can answer before I keep going and jump into market trends? Yeah, I think a good one that you can answer now is just what are some ways to actually increase the quality of the rentals that people are hosting, kind of to speak to what you were saying of these high quality operators will continue to prevail? It's a great question. There's countless strategies. We'll cover some of some of the opportunities uh, in a little bit when we talk about the amenities uh, and what can be added to that. Really, um, the guest experience is always number one, regardless of what it is. So the way you kind of interact with the guests that are staying in the properties, short-term rentals are so review specific. Uh, one bad review can can hurt you tremendously. So going above and beyond for guests always pays dividends. Um, so that's always the first thing you can do. Make sure that the guest has a seamless experience from uh, from the onset. Uh, that will lead to to best reviews. Uh, eliminate any kind of potential. Uh, pitfalls early on. Uh, we've seen a lot of horrible experiences, short-term rentals. Uh, most of them start actually with uh, check-in being difficult. So as much as you can over-communicate early on to ensure that you have that five-star review, that helps tremendously. But certain amenities, we'll cover those in a second, actually, and provide you guys with some tools to further dive into those. Cool. Um, let's keep going. Let's talk about some market trends that we're seeing. So beyond just the uh, you know the supply and the demand aspects. What are other things in the markets that are that are worth noticing? And this is a uh, heat. Oops, went too far. This is a heat map that we, we uh, uh, borrowed from another uh, data provider in the space. Their name is Revity. Check them out. Great data provider as well. Um, this heat map, what it does is it shows you uh, how local regulations uh, have evolved over time and the the areas where regulations are being implemented um in these days right when anything you always hear about short-term rentals it's like okay be aware of the local regulation and a lot of the trends that we're seeing uh on the regulatory side is really around registration and and some slight regulation what i mean by that is there's not a lot of flat-out restrictions of short-term rentals um in markets a lot of times it's hey we need you to register your short-term rental so that we can monitor it uh, there's a lot of, hey, we're going to put X, Y, and Z rules into place to make sure that these properties and these, you know, uh, are actually kind of pillars of the community and not a, uh, not a, uh, not an eyesore. Um, so uh, it's continuing to evolve, um, but it's really turning to be more on the positive side. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. 
Cities are also increasingly uh, requiring occupancy taxes to be collected by uh, short-term rental platforms like Airbnb. And that honestly is a great sign for hosts uh, if cities continue to do that going forward and start turning short-term rentals into revenue, re revenue generators for them. That's only going to make them more likely to pass um, favorable regulations because they will not want to um, really kind of cut off that stream of revenue for themselves. And lastly, uh, one great way to really combat restrictions is through midterm rentals. So stays of 28 plus days, monthly rentals. Um, over 20% of Airbnb's bookings that they see on their platform, they mentioned this again in the Q4 call, uh, are for over a month plus. So there's significant demand for really monthly rentals. And uh, very few, there are very few restrictions in, across any municipality that prevent short-term rentals, uh, sorry, I apologize, that prevent mid-term rentals. Uh, we actually have markets that uh, that's all we do there when we operate them. We operate them as mid-term rentals, one, because that's required by the local uh, municipality, but also two, there's significant demand in those markets. So take advantage of mid-term rentals to really kind of provide a, um, a safe zone for yourself uh, when operating, you know, short-term rentals, uh, furnished rentals. Yeah, I'm going to pop in real fast to the question yeah, about midterm rentals. Uh, so in the markets that we actually operate midterm rentals only, is there a drop in revenue or a, a change in revenue that we see by only deploying that type of strategy? Really, there's not. It's, it's a little bit, it's unique in the sense that um, it can be a little bit more, um, uh, create a little bit more, uh, I'm trying to find the right word. It, it, it makes uh, investors a little bit more nervous because a lot of the monthly rentals happen within, you know, two or three days before booking. So there's a little bit more angst might be the right term, right? But from a revenue perspective over a 12 month period, we've really not seen a significant drop off between, you know, short-term rentals and, and the monthly midterm rentals. Uh, it's just that sometimes there can be just a little bit more, more nerves involved because, Again, not a lot of times do people book monthly rentals too far ahead of time, um, like they do with you know short-term rentals. Sometimes they'll book months and months ahead of time. Uh, we see you know midterm rentals to have a, a shorter booking window to be sometimes a little bit more reactionary. But from our data points, uh, we have not seen any true drop in revenue between the two of them, especially if you kind of extrapolate it out through through a twelve-month period. We have another question that actually is a follow-up on that. So regarding midterm rental and short-term rentals having similar 12-month revenues, uh, do you believe that to be true for all market types? Probably not true for all market types. We've seen that to be a significant success in more urban markets. Uh, in vacation markets, that may not be the case um, across all vacation markets. I think you can, uh, you can uh, confidently say that's more the case in urban areas. Uh, vacation areas, I think it's a little bit more of a hit and miss. And then we'll cap it off with one last question on midterm rentals. I know we have a few more that we'll answer in the chat, but um, could you answer kind of what type of tenant or renter is actually looking for midterm rentals? Yeah, there's all kinds of them. Like I, you guys are looking at one as you speak. Not myself, Nicole is a midterm renter. Um, that's all. Well, that's not all you do. I guess you do have a primary residence, Nicole, in Chicago. But uh, it's really a combination of young professionals who are really works at companies where they can work remotely and they're taking advantage of that ability and they're traveling to different parts of the country, staying at different short-term rentals for a few months at a time. Nicole's doing so right now. You're in New Mexico now, then going to Colorado and then probably going home to Chicago for a little bit. 
uh, and you just bought your first midterm rental as well, right? So uh, that, you're, that you're utilizing yourself. So it's a lot of this nomadic lifestyle. So that's one large use case. Uh, another large use case is uh, families uh, when they're in between homes or first moving to new cities, they need a place to stay. Um, so that's a large use case as well. There's a lot of corporate, more traditional corporate use cases. So, you know, you'll have the uh, an executive of one of the kind of Fortune 500 companies in that metropolitan want to stay at a in a, at a short-term, uh, mid-term rental versus at a, uh, um, a, a, a you know, hotel. Uh, we see a lot of people that are temporarily displaced by, uh, you know, events at their house, whether there's, you know, they're doing some construction or something along those lines. So they had a fire, uh, there's a lot of insurance claims where people are placed in the midterm rentals. And then of course, there's there's the travel nurses as well um, that, that are famous for utilizing uh, midterm rentals. Uh, they're great. Um, probably on the lower uh, kind of ADR range, uh, but still they're uh, reliable, great tenants. All right, uh, let's keep going. So key takeaways just on the market from our, from our perspective is look for markets with limited seasonality and regulatory risks. Drive to destinations have always been uh, the high performers, drive to destinations being places that are within a two or three hour drive from large urban markets. So, you know, from Charlotte, where we're based, anything kind of the, the mountain range in the mountains from Atlanta, you know, anything in upstate New York or the Georgia mountains, uh, really kind of places where you can drive to from a large metropolitan. Those historically have always performed well and had some of the most stable revenue per available night across their portfolio. And then some on our end, we believe that some regulation is good uh, and it will be a part of the professionalization of short-term rentals. And what we mean by that is, you know, we believe that, you know, regulations should be set up going forward to make sure that short-term rentals are um, a good, good, good for the community, right? Uh, and that they eliminate those groups who plan to have short-term rentals, uh, really the bad apples, that are gonna allow you know house parties and things of that nature to happen. Uh, we believe some some smart regulation will be mutually beneficial for all involved, and honestly, will help with some of the supply that we're seeing. Uh, so uh, we believe that's good. Uh, we believe it needs to happen. We believe it's gonna happen as part of the professionalization of short-term rentals. Uh, let's jump into amenities real quick. Um, I know we got some questions coming in now, which is great. So I'll try to cover these last few slides uh, pretty quickly. But let's talk about amenities because I think uh, people always care about what they can do to make more money. So really, there's no one size fits all kind of rule from an amenity perspective. Um, but a general rule of thumb is that you know hot tubs perform really well in mountain destinations. Pools usually perform well in vacation and beach markets, and then you know having the ability to um, to provide parking or having the ability to allow guests to bring pets is a, is a way to uh, do really well in urban destinations. So kind of quickly dive into each of these. So show you guys a couple of examples. This again is from our site, data.rabu.com from, from the market data tool. You'll look at how the amenities affect revenue uh, for, uh, for each of these markets. So Black Mountain, that's for those of you unfamiliar, it's in the North Carolina mountains. Uh, places there with hot tubs bringing in about $31,000 per year. Uh, places without a hot tub, sorry, with a hot tub bring in $58,000. So, you know, you make $27,000 more by having a hot tub in Black Mountain. And you'll see the key advantage there is that, you know, very few actually have hot tubs. Less than 28% of properties in Black Mountain have hot tubs. So if you're looking at Black Mountain as an opportunity, 
you realize that adding a hot tub will actually be a great ROI on your investment and could actually make or break the deal. So adding a hot tub would be a great, a great amenity there. Likewise, in Gatlinburg, you know, properties, you know, without a hot tub, make about 21,000. With a hot tub, make about 50. You'll see then too that, you know, almost 80% of properties in Gatlinburg have hot tubs. Uh, so really having something without a hot tub is a non-starter if you want to perform. Um, this data also likely tells you that it's smarter to look for an asset in Black Mountain and add a hot tub there because you'll see increased returns there and you'll stand out from the competition there by adding that amenity. Um, and that matters in the long term as you look into uh, kind of uh, working off some against some of the supply change that's that's happening right now. Um, on the on the pool side, we'll use Ocean Isle and North Carolina as an example. We'll see properties that without a pool in Ocean Isle make about fifty three thousand. Those with a pool make about sixty four thousand, and sixty four percent of them have pools. So it's almost expected in Ocean Isle to have a pool, and you really need one if you want to optimize for revenue. Same is the case in Port Myers, Florida. Without a pool, you bring in about twenty four thousand. With a pool, you bring in thirty eight thousand. Half the properties there are pools. So it just allows you as an investor to know, okay. These are the amenities that I need uh, to, to continue performing. And this is how the market is doing there. And this is how I can differentiate myself. Um, to talk about the urban destinations quickly, Chicago, where Nicole's from, <clears throat> not having parking, you can generate about $40,000 or $39,000 a year. With parking, your revenue jumps $10,000 a year. Um, and you see only 39% of properties there have parking. So you really, if you're looking for a property in Chicago, you want to find something that has parking because that's a great amenity that you can provide to increase your, your uh, ROI. Um, likewise, in Charlotte, if you uh, don't allow pets in Charlotte, you make about $22,000 a year. If you allow pets, you're going to make about $28,000. So again, allowing pets, uh, which only 41% of the uh, short-term rentals there do allow you to stand out, allow you to generate $6,000 more in revenue, also allow you to charge pet fees to cover some of the costs that you're going to experience from having pets there. But there's a lot of opportunities um, to kind of identify what the uh, missing link in your market is from an amenity perspective. Uh, so you can add that and see how much of a delta in revenue you can generate. Um, all this data is for free. It's available for free at data.robu.com. We are in the coming weeks, uh, including a few more amenities that you can search through uh, to kind of get do a deeper dive into what the you know what the best amenity for you is. So be on the lookout for that uh, as well. Uh, saw a question uh, on if you should charge for pets. Uh, our usual recommendation is to charge an additional fee to clean off of the pet. It just takes more work. There's just no uh, no no doubt about it, um, especially the the pets that shed. Um, so definitely, uh, charge a pet fee because your cleaner is going to want to, want to pay for, uh, is going to charge you for it and it's going to take additional work. Um, one, uh, quick anecdote to that, uh, don't allow pet pigs at one of our properties. We allowed a pet pig one time and it was the worst experience ever. Uh, so no pet pigs, uh, another takeaway from this. Hopefully nobody else ever does that too. It was an emotional support pet pig for what it's worth. Uh, but, um, it was a nightmare. Awesome. Uh, let's see how much time we have. We have about, uh, about 15 minutes or so. So we want to get to all these questions still. So I'll, I'll go through the last few slides relatively quickly. Is now still the right time to buy? <laughs> Quick answer is yes. If you can find the right asset, 
Um, and you can use tools like Rebel or AirDNA or any of the other data tools out there to kind of confirm your numbers and get comfortable with your underwriting. Right now is still a good time to invest. Uh, I think you can make an argument that there's less buyers out there, which can help with some of the uh, prices on the assets you can buy. Now, of course, you know, interest rates are higher now than they were 12 and 18 months ago. So again, that's going to drive down uh, some cap, you, you cap rate uh, and your returns a bit, but uh, it's still a good time to buy for the right asset. The demand is still there to service it, but it just takes more time to find that asset. And there's always the opportunity as well in the future to um, refinance. Uh, if and when interest rates drop, you can refinance your asset and uh, kind of unlock additional returns on on your on your investment um we did have a question ahead of this call asking us kind of what are the key stats that we're seeing right now on uh, from a return profile perspective um and again as you guys can imagine these have changed over the last uh 12 to 18 months because of the rise in interest rates but we're still seeing mid to high single digit returns on both the cap rate and the cash and cash return perspective now you know 12 and 18 months ago when the interest rates were you know two, three, four percent, uh, you know, those would have been easily in the double digits, uh, but it's just not the case anymore. And considering that long-term rentals and other asset classes are seeing cash and cash and cap rate returns of, you know, four and five percent, this is still a really attractive asset class to deploy your capital into. Again, not as great as it would have been from a return perspective 12 and 18 months ago, but that's just par for the course of what we're seeing in the current economic times. We are still seeing deals where you can get double digit uh, returns on both cash cap rate and cash on cash, but it's just not as frequent as it was again when interest rates were in the three percent in the three percent range. Uh, finally, the interest rates that we are seeing right now are in the six and a half to eight and a half percent. A lot of those would be on like a DSCR loan where uh, the lenders would utilize uh, short-term rental data from us or from AirDNA or from somebody else to underwrite the assets. Um, so you're seeing. Uh, interest rates in kind of that six and a half to eight and a half percent range uh, right now. But again, everybody believes um, that uh, those will drop in the future, at which point uh, it, it would be uh, opportunistic to refinance to a lower, lower rate and increase uh, these these returns here. Yeah, I have a question on that interest rate and kind of the financing piece there. Um, do we have any tips on how to actually secure those types of short-term rental loans like you're talking about, like DCR loans or any other short-term rental specific loans? Yeah, I uh, highly encourage anyone who's interested um, to, to reach us to us directly and we're happy to connect you. There's uh, a growing number of lenders who are providing uh, short-term rental specific loans that are utilizing our data and data of uh, other groups to underwrite those loans. Um, a couple off the top of our heads are uh, the lenders, one of them, uh, the host, uh, host financial is a great, a great broker. Um, there's a couple more, Chris, that you've been talking to, I know as well, but there are groups out there. We're happy to connect uh, everyone to those if they need a, a lender, um, especially on the DS, DSCR side. The other option that we've seen a lot of success with is to go with your local banks where you might already have an existing relationship. Um, those are usually uh, good to work with, especially a credit union. Um, those have been pretty flexible in accepting, you know, short-term rental revenue um, as uh, for for their loans uh, as part of the underwriting. Um, so there's definitely opportunities out there, and they're growing. Uh, and if you need any assistance of that, feel free to reach out to us. We can connect you to the to the right groups. Uh, 
All right. Uh, and then just uh, to kind of finish it off, we'll talk about some of my favorite markets because we get that question a lot. <laughs> Again, what you'll see a lot here is, is grab two destinations. So we're based in Charlotte, North Carolina. One of our favorite markets is really anything adjacent to Asheville, North Carolina and the North Carolina mountains in general. Now, Asheville would have been ideal to be a short-term rental market, but there are some restrictions within the city that are being questioned by the North Carolina legislature. But to be safe, anything adjacent to Asheville is, is a great opportunity. Uh, and in the North Carolina mountains, again, drive to destination from Charlotte, from Raleigh, from, from Virginia, uh, and even from, uh, from, from Georgia and, and Atlanta makes it a highly appealing market. So um, Asheville adjacent in the North Carolina mountains are great. Same thing with upstate South Carolina, kind of right between Charlotte and, and, and Atlanta. Great, uh, great opportunities there. Uh, with Clemson University being close by as well, certainly helps. Uh, Georgia Mountains, uh, great gem uh, of, uh, of, of a market. Um, uh, places there perform really well. Up and down the coast in the North Carolina, in North Carolina, South Carolina, also great. Of course, you have to be somewhat careful. You know, Myrtle Beach, while good, there's some saturation there. Charleston, there are some strict restrictions in the in the city itself. But if you can find the right asset along the, the coast, um, you will you'll see good performance um, there. Of course, anything in Florida is great. Uh, Florida is just a short-term rental destination, so Florida is always high on the list um, from the Panhandle down into into Miami. Good opportunities there, and then we continue to see really good returns in Central Texas, really Texas Hill Country. Uh, and kind of in the, is anything drivable between Austin and San Antonio uh, and, and and Dallas uh, that those areas perform really well and we anticipate them performing well going into 2023 as well. That's it from us guys. Hopefully this was helpful. Obviously, uh, love to answer any questions that you may have. So uh, please send them our way. Yeah, great. Thanks for that presentation. I do have a few questions queued up that we can start with, but. As Amir said, please continue to send through the questions and we'll get them all answered today. Um, so to, to start off, do you have any thoughts on very high-end short-term rentals, maybe in the thousands of dollars rev car range? Uh, this person is asking because they believe that there might be a huge opportunity there that even hotels can't compete with. Absolutely. There's, um, there's some really uh, forward-thinking operators out there that are going above and beyond uh, in, in building assets that just jump out at you. Um, and that from everything we've seen interacting with those groups, they're performing exceptionally well. Um, now, the hardest thing about assets like that, they're hard to underwrite because you really are setting the market yourself, right? You're creating an, in a, an, an experience, an asset type that nobody else may have in the area. And that's honestly a lot of times a positive and from everything we've seen provides really good returns. The hardest thing again is the underwriting piece because you can't compare it to other properties in the market. Um, you can maybe use the market data to kind of find a basement price or basement revenue, but obviously the the more unique the experience, uh, the more you can charge. So I, I think it's a great idea. I think I would look out to make sure that I'm looking at markets that attracts the type of um, tenants that you're looking for uh, that fit the profile of your property, uh, but um, it's it's a great opportunity to kind of stand out from supply. Awesome, great answer. Uh, we have two questions coming up now about short-term rent, or sorry, about short-term rental regulation. So first one being, do we know any software that can help identify short-term rental regulations or do we have any recommendations on how to actually research those maybe more manually if needed? 
Yeah, there's unfortunately no software out there that does it. There are some sites online that um, will kind of give you high level data. Airbnb, I apologize, gives you high level data on it and it kind of link you off to each municipality. The best service that I know that's out in the market that actually can help you do a deeper dive into the uh, uh, the regulatory information for the city is the group that I alluded to here, earlier here. When I use that heat map, bear with me one second. Um, Revity, the group I showed here. Um, so check them out. I think it's Revity.com. Uh, I may be wrong, but if you Google Revity and short-term rentals, um, they do a good job of actually sending analysts to dive into markets pretty deep on a really block-by-block -block basis if needed to get you all the regulatory information that you need. So if you need experts to do a deep dive on it, Revity is your solution. Uh, and I know over time they're building out a database of regulations, uh, but it does not exist yet. Um, you know, your local property manager, if you're planning to use one, uh, can be helpful. Calling the city yourself can be helpful. Um, it can be, it's sometimes, it's difficult. There's no doubt about it, but um, it's a lot of times it's worth effort. And yeah, Chris just uh, linked to them. It's Revity.com. Great, thanks. The next question about kind of the regulatory climate is, do you have a point of view on what the most common short-term rental regulation that is being considered or being enacted in mid-sized cities? The example this person gave is that uh, many don't really allow them in the most desirable zones of the city. Is there anything else you have to touch on there? Yeah, that, that's one of them. Uh, the ones that we're seeing some uh, now more of too is if they do do a lot of them, they don't allow a, a significant density of them in a, in a certain market. So there we've seen some areas where they don't allow multiple short-term rentals within like three or 400 feet of each other um, because they don't want those to become a nuisance to the community. Uh, so those are probably the, the biggest ones we're seeing. A lot of them are based around kind of noise uh, and violations. Like if you have a property that's caused violations on numerous occasions to the community, that, that can be shut down, which again goes back to what I mentioned earlier. It's probably a good thing, right? You want to make sure that these are operating appropriately. They're not used as party houses uh, and are attracting the right type of guest. Uh, so it's really uh, noise restrictions, um, nuisance restrictions, and sometimes a little bit of a density restrictions where you can't have too many in the same area. Great answer, thank you. Uh, so this next question kind of goes back to when we were discussing supply and the influx of supply. Um, is there any tool or any way to look at market metrics or market facts to really see which markets the supply is really growing in or maybe markets that are more or less likely to be impacted by floods of supply in the future? Yeah, we've, we've launched a tool ourselves on data.rubble.com where you can dive into and see market level data uh, as well. So if you go to data.rubble.com, you go to market data, um, you'll see, you know, you'll type in Charlotte, for example, which is where we're based. And you'll see some of the stats that I showed you guys earlier here that will show you, you know, what the breakdown is. So this is for all properties in Charlotte, 1700 listings. You'll see kind of the breakdown of, you know, what the uh, saturation of each is. You'll see most of them in Charlotte are one, two, and three bedrooms. There's very few larger units here, uh, maybe a couple that are over eight bedrooms. Um, and then can also show you kind of over time how uh, the number of average listings has changed in the market. So we're one of them. There's others as well. Obviously, we actually encourage others to use tools like AirDNA to confirm data. Uh, really, uh, you know, anytime you're making such a big decision as turning properties into short-term rentals, turning your real assets into revenue generators, 
the more data points you can get, the better. So utilizing us, utilizing AirDNA, utilizing Revity uh, to kind of get comfortable with the, with the uh, potential, uh, be completely understand and support. Great. Uh, so going back to something you said before, also, you threw in a little teaser and said that we're going to have some more amenities and fee data available soon. Uh, do you mind disclosing some examples of different amenities we'll be sharing data on, different fees, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, couple of things. One that was been highly requested, it was requested in another webinar we did a couple of days ago was EV chargers. You know, how many properties provide EV chargers and what are results of those? Um, so you're going to start seeing those as amenities going forward. Um, uh, others include just uh, cleaning fees, how detailed the cleaning fees are, how much everybody charges for cleaning. We're going to make that more easily displayed as well. So you can start seeing what uh, what percentage of properties in, in this market, in the zip code are actually, you know, have started doing $0 cleaning fees, which so is starting to become a little bit of a norm. You know, how many are charging above my rate? How many are charging, charging below my rate? All those impact revenue. Uh, and all those can be amenity and really revenue management strategies that can be implemented. So you'll see those going forward as well. Uh, but I'm really excited about the EV charger one because I have a Tesla and I never drive it anywhere because I don't know if there's a good EV destination uh, charging station there easily. So um, I'm excited that we're going to be able to add that as an amenity filter and to see what that return profile looks like by having that. Yeah, definitely. I know it's been a highly requested one. So excited to launch that as well. All right, so we have just a few questions left. Um, one that came in is actually regarding property management. Do you mind going through some of the pros and cons of having a short-term rental managed by a local company versus a national or even the international company? Yeah, so they're, they're great question. Um, local, they will understand the local regulations and the local kind of event and demand calendar better than anybody nationally could. Uh, it's just a matter of fact. A lot, a lot of the local ones may also be cheaper, charge a lower rate. Um, so, you know, they'll, and they'll probably be, be uh, provide a little better owner support service um, because, you know, you'll be one of a handful of clients and they'll have time for you uh, and help you on a more kind of one-on-one -on -one basis. The national groups, uh, they will be much more sophisticated in making sure that the property is distributed on all the appropriate marketing channels. They will be more uh, proactive in the revenue management strategies. Um, they will make things a little bit more at ease for you. Um, the way I would almost put it is that if you want some kind of hands-on experience and you want to be very close to the property manager, uh, a local group will probably give you some of that more than a national group will. A national group will be much more hands-off which really can be both good and bad. It really depends on your personality. If you want to set it and forget it, a national group will will do a good job of that. If you want to be involved and want to have the property manager on, on you know, quick dial and ask them questions, a local group will probably be better. Um, the fee differences can, can be significant between local and national. Um, a lot of the local groups, especially the kind of the smaller ones are going to charge lower fees. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of times you get what you pay for. I'm not saying that's always the case, but a lot of times you get what you pay for. Great, thanks for that answer. Uh, so the next one is kind of regarding the recent algorithm changes that Airbnb has said that they've uh, put into their platform. I know you mentioned ways to make your Airbnb stand out previously, but kind of reiterating that as well, do you have any tips to make your Airbnb stand out specifically in regards to those recent algorithm changes? 
Yeah, I mean, if you can have your property identified towards one of their new filters, you know, unique stays, campground, whatever, that always helps. Uh, anything you can do to make your property from the way it's filterable stand out is good. Um, you know, Airbnb might drive prices a little bit lower for you. I would not make sure I would not make it a race to the bottom. I would make sure that I go above and beyond and provide the best experience that I can for my guests because the reviews are going to be reflective of that. And that will allow you to charge a premium. So uh, I would not make it a race to the bottom from a uh, from a price perspective. I would really kind of go above and beyond to make sure that the guest has the best experience. The photos are as attractive as possible. Um, change out the, the listing cover photo on a continuous basis just to see if one performs better than the other. Um, you know, implement some uh, some uh, some some discounts uh, as needed. Um, but uh, I would the last thing I would do transparently is make it a race to the bottom. Great. And then final question here. So uh, this person's asking about those markets that you stated are your favorite markets. Why why is that? And what do you personally look for when analyzing a short term rental market? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, their draft to destinations has just historically have proven to be um, kind of the, the most steady and consistent performers from a revenue perspective. Um, it's always been the case historically, those properties have, have done have done the best. So when we look at properties, one, it's, you know, looking at our data points that we have to say, okay, this is where we're seeing a lot of demand. This is where we're seeing the highest rep pan. This is where we're seeing kind of the, the, the most continuous and stable uh, seasonality. Um, so that that obviously makes the jump up, uh, you know, data driven. There's also a human aspect to it. These are all areas too that me as a consumer of short-term rentals of Airbnbs, I want to stay at and I would pay a premium to stay at. And really at the end of the day, a lot of, you know, data helps tremendously, but a lot of about Airbnb and short-term rentals is creating an experience, whether that's the type of home, whether that's the location, whether that's the amenities that you as a guest would, would want. Uh, and those usually translate really well to everybody else. So if you create something that you enjoy, others will enjoy too, and they'll pay a premium for it. So a lot of those markets are places that I know I like to visit, that I know others like to visit, um, and that the data supports those actually, you know, being the right assets and the right areas to invest in. Awesome. Great answer. That was all of the uh, questions that we had come through the chat. So that's that's everything from us. I'd like to say thank you to everyone. And then Amir, I'll, I'll hand it back to you to wrap it up as well. Yeah, thanks everybody for joining. Uh, hope this was informative. Um, hope you guys learned something today. Again, you know, our view on the state of the economy is that, you know, or sorry, the state of the short-term rental market is that we're just going through a phase where, you know, supply is outpacing demand. It's, uh, you know, we saw an overcorrection in 2021 and 2022 uh, based on, you know, the uh, kind of pent up travel demand and now it's becoming stabilized. And I think it's just, you know, investors understanding that this is the new normal that for us to make sure that we get the most out of these asset classes and that these assets, we need to operate them professionally and find the right property. So highly encourage everybody to, to do that. Um, and uh, if you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out us, to us, reach out to our tools, interact with myself or with uh, our team on Twitter. Um, and yeah, let us know what questions you have and hopefully you found some value here. Thanks so much for tuning into Short-Term Rental Investing 101. Hope this State of the Union edition of our podcast answered a lot of your questions about the current short-term rental market. As always, remember to follow us on your favorite podcast app and social media accounts tagged in the show notes.
And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Until next time, cheers.